welcome to another episode of Arte Labore, a Blackburn Rovers podcast from the Lancashire Telegraph. A miserable Christmas period for Blackburn Rovers, um, going through it all over the next hour or so. I'm joined by Ryan Hildred as always. Ryan, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Uh, it's not been a great start for Rovers. <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas and, and Happy New Year to you too, Elliot. Thank you. And um, yeah, I've been weirdly looking forward to this and, and I've missed doing the uh, the pod with you last week. So that shows you what type of character I am, that <laughs> I'm ready to talk about one point from 12 with some... Uh, <laughs> With some wonderful, uh, with some wonderful joy in in my heart. But um, no, Christmas was great. It was a nice, relaxed affair with the family. But the football was not so great. But I managed to get two out of the four games, which was good. I always like to get a couple at least over the festive period. So that was good. Yep, absolutely. Um, obviously, normally we would break down each game. Um, we we were planning to do a pod between um, Boxing Day and and Hull, but just with the schedule and. Press conferences just didn't get a chance to get that in. So I think the best way to do it is just just talk in general about the festive period. Go for sort of like the the top headlines, um, all the big talking points, rather than go through the nitty gritty of each and every single game because nobody cares about us talking about Watford. That was two weeks ago. So I think it's probably the best uh, best approach. So I suppose the top line numbers to kick things off. It's obviously one win in eight. Nightmare Christmas period where ten goals were conceded. One point was picked up. That is the worst record in the league. Over the last eight games, Rovers have conceded 20 goals. They picked up four points. Again, that is the worst in the championship. And, of course, the frustration. We are recording this just, uh, obviously, 24 hours after the 2 all draw against Rotherham United at Ewood Park, who were bottom of the league, hadn't won away from home in 14 months. So to drop points... Against rock bottom relegation fodder is obviously only adding to the frustrations. We've got the January transfer window to chat about. But I think for me, the biggest concern for, for Rovers and probably the first thing to talk about is just the variation in performances we've seen because I thought against Watford they were pretty good for 75 minutes and deserved to win that game, had big chances. It was very typical Blackburn Rovers. I thought against Huddersfield, it was the worst performance of the season. They were absolutely appalling. Um, And then I thought at Hull, they were appalling off the ball and defensively, but pretty decent on it. And then then yesterday, again, I think that they were good on the ball, concede a horrendous goal at the worst time. And if they don't concede that equaliser, then they probably go on to win the game and probably still should have won the game. Um, So I have probably the most sympathy with the Watford game because I thought that was just a bit unlucky and, and obviously some individual errors. Boxing Day was horrific. Um, Hull, you can't defend like that and expect to get points. And then yesterday, I suppose, again, individual errors, not taking your chances. So I do think they probably do deserve more points than they picked up over over Christmas. I think probably deserve to pick up six points over the four games out in total. But we have seen a real variation in performances, really. We have. And I think leading up to the Watford game, um, I think maybe Rovers had some credit in the bank with the fans. Um, I think there was a reflection that Leeds at home, Southampton away were tough games and there was a reflection that the squad was starting to get tired. So I think there was the credit in the bank. There was probably still some credit in the bank after the Watford game, actually, because, as you say, on the whole, we played really well in that game. And for me, the difference in that game was they literally brought on five players who made an impact and hurt us when they came on. In particular, the Georgian lad in the middle, Chak Vitadze, if that's how you pronounce his name. He just came and ran at us and I was like, wow, what a player he is. 
So I think there was actually still some credit in the bank there because it was just two squads in comparison to each other. But what's followed since that point, as you say, I think has really exposed now some things that have been brought to the surface in Rovers fans' eyes. Um, one is JDT's ability to respond to what's going on in front of him. That's a big concern for me now. We know the squad is tired. We know the squad is small. These are all things that were covered in the summer. These are all things that Waggett covered his ass with in the summer as well. Those things we already know. What I want to see from JDT is a response on the pitch in terms of how we're set up and the players that we're playing and locking games down and keeping them tight and responding to what's going on in front of you. And they're the things that I've not seen. And as much as I have sang JDT's praises through the season on this pod for the style of football that we've played, which at times has been an absolute joy, this what we've seen over the Christmas period, unfortunately, is the other side of the coin. And I sent a tweet yesterday after the Rotherham game just saying that Rovers need some good old-fashioned grit, some championship grit to get us through this period. A point at Hull would have been great. A win at home to Rotherham would have been good. A point at home to Watford even would have been good. But we've not got those points. And I think that is a result of our lack of championship grit. And for me, that comes with how JDT is responding and setting the side up. The other thing which I think has obviously been exposed and we will no doubt talk about is the goalkeeper situation. It's a huge concern now. Um, we were blessed with Brad Friedel for all of those Premier League years. And then we were obviously searching for a goalkeeper for quite a number of years after that and landed in an absolute gem with Thomas Kaminsky, where we weren't even thinking about goalkeeper. Sadly, we're now thinking about goalkeeper. Um, you know, Pears took his criticism last season. But I think Walshter, it's it's sadly another level of not incompetence, but he's just not at the level we need Walshter at the moment. So, Two big things have come to the surface uh, over Christmas and, and they need addressing both of them. Yeah, I think that those are two of the, the main points that certainly Blackburn Rose fans are talking about. Let's go into the goalkeeper first. Let's get that off the table because there is no sugarcoating it. Leopold Wallstead has made four mistakes in four consecutive games that have massively dictated the result and cost Blackburn Rovers. Um, the Watford game, I'm... It probably should do better with the first one, to be honest, which he palms straight into the path of um, Ryevich from Esprit's shot. But the bigger one for me was the punch um, for the for the corner kick that comes in, which is then volleyed back in by KMB, and then Reese Healy taps it in. And we have seen time and time again this season there is a real inability to deal with crosses into the boxes and any sort of aerial bombardment. That has been a big weakness in Wallstead's game. I thought he was making a bit of progress with it because we spoke the Bristol City game, for example, and there was a few games before that we were seeing strides forward. He was he was being more confident. He was coming for crosses. He was claiming them. The Bristol City game in particular, he was, he was pretty faultless, to be honest. And I felt like we were making progress. Then you have the Southampton game where I still maintain I think he should do better for the opening goal. And his confidence in terms of crosses has just gone... It's just fallen off a cliff since then. And particularly the Rotherham one is an absolute howler. And I don't, what I don't understand, and this is where maybe it's a little bit harsh to this, but for someone who's not obviously a goalkeeping coach or someone who's got in-depth knowledge on goalkeeping, if you were Ben Benson and, and the goalkeeping team, would you not tell him just don't come for crosses at the minute, just stay on your line no matter what? He's almost making it worse by persisting. And the, the, the goal against Rotherham, in my opinion, genuinely cost them three points because I think they win that game if that goal doesn't go in at that time because they were absolutely on top. 
They were dominating. They were the best team. The, 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 the biggest challenge was scoring the first goal. And they did that within 10 minutes. That was the big challenge to stop Rotherham sitting deep for the entirety of the game. And it just gave Rotherham a massive lift. It made the defence had had no issues and it made them look like, you know, it made it look brittle again. They look lack of confidence. There's no trust. And how can there be when your goalkeeper's chucking in goals four games in a row? And I don't want to sound too harsh because I've supported Wallstead. I've said many times this podcast that I think he's the better of the two goalkeepers. But his form over the Christmas period has is, is absolutely fallen off a cliff and he's costing Rovers goals in a way that is way worse than Ainsley Pear's performances at, at the start of the season, in my opinion. And it, it seems to be, in particular, crosses. But again, we've also seen a regression in his shot stopping because the one at Huddersfield is equally appalling where... Hidley hits it from the edge of the box. Yes, you can talk about the defending. They absolutely should have closed him down quicker, but it's straight at him. I, like, I, people could talk about the defending, and I agree, but it don't, it's irrelevant really, isn't it? Because your goalkeeper just should save that. It goes through him, and that's the one I don't understand, and that's the one that probably links it most to confidence because he's been a good shot stopper. He's pulled off some great saves. For as much as I thought he was at fault for the first goal at Southampton, He's then pulled off five or six really, really good saves at Southampton to keep the score down. So I don't know where his confidence must be, but then the sort of play, the way he plays, he doesn't look short of confidence. You know, his, his distribution's still been good, but he is consistently costing Blackburn Rovers points right now. And there is a real debate to be had about whether he should come out, certainly for the FA Cup game, just to give him a break and a bit of a breather psychologically. Ainsley Pears is not a million miles away. Um, he's back in light training. I don't think he's training with the f- first team yet, but he's probably could be in contention maybe for West Brom if they needed him, if they want to throw him back in. So I think the Cambridge game will probably come a little bit soon for Pears. And then it's, do you go with Joe Hilton, who's completely untested and not made his championship debut, uh, his Blackburn Rovers debut? Or do you persist with Walstead? Uh, first things first, you like to highlight the games where he's performed well. I think that, you know, we need to be fair there, don't we? And, and those shots away at Southampton, the other things that we've um, that we've reflected about Bristol City, we should give him the credit there. My annoyance is how simple it is to beat Rovers at the moment with the quality of the goal which are coming from the opposition. They're not goals where they're unpicking Rovers with, you know, pass, 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 possession, you know, counter-attack, whatever it is. They're more really what we saw with Leeds and Southampton, which is why you give them some leeway. That's it. That's it. So the two Watford goals, I'm holding Walsh accountable for both. I think the Fair first way. one is also a poor save. Yeah, I think both of them are his fault. Um, that first one against Huddersfield, yeah, he should stop that as well. And we've spoken about the importance of the first goal in Rovers' games. Huddersfield going 1-0 up in the first half on Boxing Day, where they've got a bumper crowd, where it's wet, where it's soggy, was the worst thing that could happen to Rovers at that point. And Kaminsky saves that. I think Pears saves that, actually. Let's just be fair. I I think he does. (laughs) Yeah, quite possibly. So it's a really important goal when you're a side that's got one win in whatever it was at that point, five or six games when we were playing Huddersfield, wasn't it? So really important goal. And then teams can respond when they can see that Chris Sutton has described him as a flapper. And when he said that on that Sky Sports commentary at that point in that Norwich game, I thought that was a little bit harsh at that point. Don't be judging a keeper like that. But actually, I don't think there's much we can do to repel what Chris Sutton is saying there. And teams can now respond and do things in games to test out our flapping goalkeeper. Odozi's goal for Southampton is into that area where 
Wolstead is obviously flapping at it. That Watford first goal, oh, second goal, sorry. He's flapped at the corner. It's gone straight to the Watford lad. And then he's not set and can't save the, the rebounded shot. And then Rotherham's first goal, as you say, you know, he's got to come and take charge of that situation and he doesn't. And it's just really simple goals that the opposition are able to uh, to obviously get against us. And then indirectly, I actually think Hull's winner is probably as a result of that. For me, it shouldn't be dropping and hitting Callum Britton in the way that it does in that area of the pitch. Like, where's your goalkeeper taking command of that situation again? So I think all these things are linked and they're all correlated and if you're the coach against Blackburn Rovers at the moment, you just say, whip a corner in with that flight, with that pace, that trajectory, and cause some havoc. And I think it's a really easy tactic at the moment. I think we saw that particularly with Rotherham yesterday. Um, they'd not had a kick. They were Rotherham a poor. They were a poor side, particularly in that first half. And Rovers could have been two or three goals up. And that is, again, down to wasteful finishing as well. But the last thing you need is to give them a leg up. And for it's like with these mistakes as well, as you've just pointed out, the timing of each one has been absolutely crap. That has caused them really big problems because, as you said, Huddersfield, they started all right, a little bit laboured, but okay. They had all the ball. Huddersfield, completely short of confidence, playing really deep. All of a sudden, Rovers give them a bit of a leg up in terms of possession and start to play backwards. Huddersfield press up the pitch a little bit, realise they can press them. Your goalkeeper chucks one in and then Rovers is completely on the back foot. And we will talk about, obviously, a response and, and lack of senior players putting their hand up and lack of senior players in the squad in general because the Huddersfield game in particular is unacceptable in terms of that performance level and the response. But when you're having a bad game and you're under the cosh a little bit, you don't need your goalkeeper to let the first goal in in the way he did at Huddersfield. And again, the one yesterday, it completely changed the game because Rovers were dominant. They should have been 2-3-0 two, two up. It gives Rotherham a massive boost in confidence. And then also, I thought Hill and Carter were having a great game. Eves wasn't causing them any problems, neither was Nombe. Then suddenly, they start looking like prime Ronaldo in his peak because... The defence are just absolute. I'm trying not to say shit scared, but I'm going to say shit said. They're just shit scared all of a sudden because they've conceded again. The confidence saps out of them. The goalkeepers chuck one in and it completely changes the game and the momentum of it. And against Watford, of course, it cost them two goals and the equal, the equaliser, I wouldn't really say it was coming. He'd not really had that much to do. And then you've got to question the character of conceding the second one again. Yes, it's an individual error, but... Yeah, I just think it, it it's really underlined how brittle the confidence is in this squad in terms of it's a young team. There's such a lack of championship experience. And we have also seen that by the fact that Dom Hyam's been rushed back and had started every game over the Christmas period. You know, he started against Watford, he started against Huddersfield, and he probably shouldn't have started against Hull, but JDT clearly felt he got no other option than to throw him straight back in. What other player in this squad has been out for two months plus and Jon would just throw them straight back in? He normally drip feeds them back in and that shows how reliant they are just to get a senior player back in the squad, who is obviously their best defender. But he was miles off it against Hull. I've never seen him play so poorly. And he just wasn't fit to play that game. A third game in what five days he just wasn't fit to play but Jon clearly felt he got no other option he's never going to turn around and say I'm not fit to play because he's desperate to be involved but in terms of the red card it was deserved in my opinion he was off it all game he didn't cover himself in glory for the first goal which the lap scores neither does Walstead at the near post and it just shows how brittle the confidence in this back line is at the minute which is not being helped by the goalkeeper and as much as I'm not holding Leo Walstead 
uh, at fault for Aaron Connolly's goal. I think everything that you've just described there is as a result of that lack of confidence because James Hill, for whatever reason, thought that Walshtet was coming and he wasn't. And actually, it's a really easy ball for, to, for James Hill just to lash into the stands. I was quite close to the action against Hull. I was four rows up from, from the front row. I didn't hear any communication, albeit Hull are obviously, you know, you know, going, go on, all the fans are, are doing that. So maybe I'm I couldn't like hear it. Going on mid-game. <laughs> <laughs> quite possibly. But there was absolutely no communication between Hill and Walshtet. And I think had Hill had a bit more confidence in Walshtet, maybe he does put it into the stands. Maybe he does do something differently. But... There was the epitome there of, of the confidence that they don't have in, in the goalkeeper at the moment. And Connolly scores that goal as, as a result of that. Totally agree on Dom Hyam. Again, being so close to the action, in particular against Hull, I could just see how off it he was. And it was far too easy for Liam Delap, who frankly just ran Rovers ragged that game as well. Again, good he did it at Ewood Park. It is a very good player, really good player. And I think, sadly for us, shows you the difference between a Liam Delap versus Ennis Talalovic and Harry Leonard at the moment. What Rovers would do for someone like Liam Delap, who we could just trust to run that line, run that channel, you know, and, and cause havoc in the way that he did against us. But it was far too easy. You know, Dom Hyam, a fit Dom Hyam, I've got no doubt that Liam Delap does not get past him as easy as he does there. But still, he's got a lot to do. Harry Pickering did not cover himself no, in glory with not. his attempt at getting back. And then... At the time, um, my mate who was with Jonathan did say that he thought Walshtet was at fault for, for the goal as well, near post. At the time, I thought, mm, maybe he's a bit close. I, I, was seen his back. Same. I, didn't, I was looking at Hyman Pickering. It wasn't until I got home and saw yeah. the replay where I was like, that, that's shocking from the goalkeeper as well. Yeah, yeah. So at the time, I was giving him a bit of credit because I thought that Delap was quite close. But yeah, he's, he's got to stand bigger, hasn't he, and, and stop that at that near that post. So it a little bit. Yeah. And again, we talk about moments, you know, I've just reflected on the mistake for, for the Huddersfield getting the first goal. The last thing that we want to do when we're on this losing run is get Hull's tails up early in the game, getting them a 1-0 lead and then we turn it into a 2-0 lead. The last things that we want to be doing, it's just very, very poor. Uh, and it was really disappointing, really disappointing in that regard. The terminology we give them a two-goal lead is absolutely accurate. And I think, as you say, that's the frustrating part because... Teams are not having to work hard to cut Blackburn open yesterday. Uh, this sorry, this season, but take yesterday. Obviously, the two goals. There's even the second one. They don't get close enough to the crosser. Um, Seb Ravan who puts it in. Tom Eves gets in front of James Hill. I actually thought James Hill was a lot better um, yesterday against Rotherham. I thought he was having a really good game. Obviously, set up Smodix for what should have been the winner. Um, but then Eves gets in front of him and heads into the back of the net. And it's 48 goals conceded this season, Ryan. Only Rotherham have conceded more. They're at the big 50 now, having conceded two, obviously, against Rovers. And we can't just talk about this in terms of a short period of time, you know, a poor run of eight games, because we're talking about the entire season, really, aren't we? And I'm still trying to put my finger on what the big difference is from last season, because the defensive record wasn't sparkling. It wasn't the best in the record, but it was quite middling. Whereas this is obviously the second worst in the league. And... I don't think there's a massive change tactically in the way Rovers are playing. I just think that I think some individual performers haven't been as good as last year. I don't think Hayden Carter's had as good a season this year as he had last season, in my opinion, so far. Um, Harry Pickering's been pretty solid. They've missed Joe Rankin-Costello, whether that be at right-back or in midfield. I thought Callum Britton started the season really well, but I think he's had a really poor Christmas period as well. Better yesterday against Rotherham. But generally, he was really poor at Huddersfield, wasn't great at Hull either. 
And maybe for me, when I'm trying to work out what the big difference is, because the only player that's left that was actually contributing was Ayala, and even he was out for periods. Tactically, there's not a huge amount of difference. You know, if anything, they're playing with a proper holding midfielder now with Tronstad instead of playing Wharton deeper. But maybe it's just in terms of injuries and maybe it's in terms of how tired the squad is. So you've got players making more individual mistakes, not at the same level. The goalkeeping situation obviously hasn't been great. Um, so that's been a downgrade on last season. So I think that's probably got to be the main sort of culprits of, of why they've been so leaky this season throughout the course of the campaign. We have to highlight the squad depth and, and the bodies that are missing. You know, there are lots of teams that would struggle with with who we're missing at the moment, not just defensively, you know, when we've lost Hyam and when we've lost Britain and, and obviously JRC now in a defensive sense, but also some of the attacking players Sam Gallagher, as much as he, you know, we want more from him in an attacking sense, brings so much to Rovers defensively with the work rate that he puts in in that position that he plays. Height from set all of pieces. these things contribute. That's it. Height from set pieces, all those things. So we're missing some big players defensively uh, as well. But where I think this boils down to for me, Elliot, is last season we had a bit of a, a speciality 1 0 win in us, didn't we? You know, whilst JDT was figuring out the squad yeah, and no. who he had and how we could play. Uh, particularly at home, yeah. Um, so whilst he was figuring all that out, that's the way that he set up. But I think at his core, JDT is a front foot manager. Um, he's not a Neil Warnock. He's not a you know championship steady Eddie that we've seen that will grind out these victories in the, this way. He's a front foot manager. We've spoken about the chaotic formation and the plaudits that we always get from opposition managers. That's all well and good when you're winning games. But when you're losing games, we need something different. And... We need um, we need to set up differently. We need some ugly players in the middle of the park. We need to lock games down a little bit. But ultimately, I don't think JDT at the moment knows how he does that with the players that he's got available. If he's got a Sam Gallagher available, if he's got a Ryan Hedges available, if he's got JRC available, I've got no doubt that he might try and do that. But for me, it's just the setup. I think it's just against his core principles. I think it's against the way that he wants to play. And actually, there's an argument to say We've got the championship's top scorer sat in our side at the moment with Imagine the way that we didn't. play. <laughs> well, yeah, quite. But part of me just thinks actually the way that we play, is that why Sammy Smodic is getting the goals that he's scoring? So for me, it's a real fine balancing act that we could change the shape, we could change the style, but then do you start to impact on other players? So I just think that JDT really does need to look at this and respond to what's going on in front of his eyes. I would have taken 1-0 off someone's arse yesterday. I don't care. A really ugly game where we win it with 10 minutes to go with a really scrappy, crappy goal. Watford at home as well. These are games that we need to just grind out some of these results. But I don't think JDT knows how to win that way. That's that's the boiling point for me. As much as I think JDT does, I don't think this squad knows how to win that way because no. that's the sort of thing that needs championship experience. I, I, I completely agree with you that I think the reason why they were scoring so many goals, particularly at the start of the season, why the underlying metrics were so good was because they were embracing the chaos. And they probably do need to play attacking because they've not got in, individual finishers that are good enough to have one chance and score it. You know, even Sam Smodix, as great as he's been, he scored 16 goals. He's missed a lot of chances as well. So Rovers, as we saw yesterday, they need a lot of opportunities to put the ball in the back of the net. So if you start playing for one nils, I think you'll actually be worse off. And I know a lot of people will say, well, it can't be worse than this. It can, and at least they're playing well or generally okay in, in open play. But I find it interesting, and, and I want to get your opinion on this in terms of Yondal Thomason and whether he needs to change, whether he's taking enough responsibility, because 
I, I think the squad is ultimately a reflection of the recruitment. They are the perfect son-in-law, if you like. They are really nice-mannered. They play some lovely football. It's really nice. It's pretty on the eye, but it's not ugly at times when it needs to be. There's not enough senior seniority in the squad. There's not enough leadership. And they've brought in a load of teenagers or very young players that... And I think Jan makes a really good point about this when he talks about experience. It's not necessarily about age. It's also about durability and have is your body used to playing 40 championship games and playing three games in a week you could be 23 like Talelovic is or he's just turned 24 actually and his body is not used to playing 40 championship games and playing three games a week so that you know it's not all just about age um equally you could have someone like um like Adam Wharton who is actually probably more senior than some of the other players. And and I think Andy Moran's the perfect example where he was brilliant at the start of the season and he's been really poor in December. And it's because he's a 19-year-old lad who's never played this volume of football um, in his life. He's in his first loan and he's going to be at a miss and he needed to come out sooner than he did. Um, he should never have played after that. I thought he was really poor against Bristol City. He shouldn't have played at Southampton. Did. Shouldn't have played against Watford. Did. Um, he came. No, he started again on Boxing Day as well. Shouldn't have started. But Jon clearly feels he hasn't got the options in the squad to rotate in the way that he needs to. And, I'd, but I, equally from the same point of view, I do think there could have been more tactical variation. I do think he could have maybe gone to a back three at one point or another. Um, but then I suppose there's been injuries as well. He's not had, you know, Callum Britton was suspended to play Devil's Advocate, wasn't he? At, at Huddersfield, uh, sorry, at Hull. No, I'll get it right in a minute, against Watford. There we go. So James Hill had to play there. Um, Dom Hyam's only just come back. Scott Wharton's been injured for a, for a couple of games as well. So he's not quite had everyone available to, to do it as he has. But then I also think, look at someone like Lewis Travis, who hasn't been involved. I was really surprised Lewis Travis didn't come back into the team at Hull after how poor they were on Boxing Day and how you know there was just a lack of fight, a lack of responsibility and... I don't necessarily think Lewis Travis has been underused across the course of the season because I think that Tronstad and Wharton have been very good as a pairing. But he seems to have fallen out of favour. You know, Jake Garrett seems to have jumped him in the pecking order. I thought he was really good against Watford at left-back, particularly in the first half. And he's not started a championship game, Ryan, in central midfield since October, since the Leicester game. That was the 1st of October. He hasn't started a championship game in central midfield, his, be- his preferred position, whether that's as a holder or in this right-sided eight role that he's generally played. The only game he's played in centre mid was at Chelsea um, in the Cup. So he's either being used at fullback or as a substitute. I really thought they missed and should have brought him in against uh, Hull. I was really surprised. Even if it was at right-back, which I actually would have done, I would have put him at right-back because I thought Callum Bruton was so poor on Boxing Day. And the lack of use of him... Is does jar against what Jon is saying in terms of the lack of experience and lack of leadership in in the team at the moment. I totally agree with that last point that you just raised there as well. I think Travis's issue that he's got here is Tronstad has come in and obviously showed himself to be a very intelligent footballer, great with the interceptions and his reading of the game and all of those things. And I think does that better than Lewis Travis. 
Adam Wharton is an absolute diamond of a player, creative, you know, press resistant, all those things that we've spoken about, and does that better than Lewis Travis. So Travis is caught in the middle of maybe being a bit of a generalist in a in a central midfield sense. He can do a lot of everything pretty well. I don't think he's quite good enough on the ball to play in, in Jon's eyes to play as the number six to play in Tronstad's role. Yeah. That's why even last season Travis was playing to the right and Adam was the deepest player. Um, and I also yeah. don't think he's quite good enough offensively to get ahead of a Joe Rankin Costello when he's fit or an Adam yeah. Wharton um, in those more advanced areas. I, th- I think he, would, I think his best position is as, is ultimately in Tronstad's role, in my opinion. But he's yeah. not quite good enough on the ball to to be the only player in that area. Now, what you could do is you could play them both and play Adam just a yeah. bit further forward because I actually think Adam's best performance was against. Um, Watford, I think that was his best performance of the season when he was probably the highest he's ever played. He scored uh, this season, he scored the goal and he nearly scored the second um, with the chance that was saved by Hamer and Carter then flashes it across the box. So there is the option to play both of them, you know, play Tronstad the deepest, but Travis then obviously is more defensive minded and play Adam a little bit further forward. And I think that is something he could have done certainly. Mm at Hull and if you went to a back three you could do that play three five two, and, and then you've still got Smodix and a striker up front um, or even play three four three. so you know there's options and, and maybe some of those options should have been explored a little bit more and just on those options for me I've seen enough of Sam Smodic he's an intelligent footballer if you were to play him in Andy Moran's position for example I've got no doubt Sam Smodic will find that run in behind that he has been doing and he'll work hard for the team in that position as well so you're absolutely right there are options there to be explored. Just to carry on the, the Lewis Travis theme that, that you were talking there as well. So, fine. Okay, Lewis Travis might not be as good as Tronstad and Wharton, as we just said there. But don't sit there, JDT, and then start telling me about, you know, lack of championship minutes, lack of experience. When you've got a lad there who, is he our highest appearance maker at championship level, Lewis Travis? Um, I need you to do the stats Probably wrong. is. Probably is now, yeah. It's him or Gallagher. Him or, do you know what, so don't sit there and complain about lack of experience when you've got a lad there who actually would bleed blue and white and has come through our academy and, and is no doubt hurting at this situation and for the record is also club captain. Yes, yeah. let's put on the table, you know, how good has Lewis Travis been over recent years? You know, these are all debates and arguments to have. But for me, with what I've seen over the last eight games and some of the championship grit some of the locking games down, some of the things that we've needed to do to get the point or the win that you know we should have got. Lewis Travis helps in those situations for me. And for him not to play as many minutes as he has done, something's happened. Something's clearly going on there. And there was a little bit of this last season with JDT, wasn't there, where Travis all of a sudden was just frozen out. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's the January transfer window. I don't know if Travis's head is not in the right place whilst he figures out what's going on with his future. This is all me speculating, but I just know as a fan, we've not seen enough of Lewis Travis whilst we're on the run of one win in eight, one win from 12 over Christmas and a squad which is at stretching point, you know, over those four games in particular that we've just been talking about. I agree. And I think it's important not to rewrite history because I've not, no one's been crying out for Lewis Travis earlier in the season because Tronstad and Wharton have been really good. My my big gripe is I, I can't believe he hasn't started any of the three games since Watford. That, that that I just don't understand why he's not been rotated in. I'm not saying that I would put him in my best 11. I'm not saying that he should have played earlier in the season. But as you say, yeah. during this run of one point out of a possible 12 over the Christmas period, 
where you play four games in 10 days or whatever it is, I find it very jarring he's not been in the team. Um, and the team's looked tired, hasn't it? And that's um, that's that's really difficult. And that's that's where they're at at the moment. And, and not having Hyam as well, obviously, against Rotherham, you thought maybe Travis could come in. I'm just surprised he hasn't been used more than more than he has over this Christmas period in particular. And, and it's clearly a difficult situation for him because he's club captain. He wants to play. He, you know, there was a possibility of him moving on in the summer um, with Millwall putting in a pretty pathetic £800,000 bid, which was obviously not back. But the less he plays, the less value he's going to have if Rovers do want to move him on. Um, and I'm not saying they do. I don't. I, it's, it's difficult because I think Rovers are currently in a flux where I think apart from like Sam Smodic's Dom Hyam, I think everyone's up for sale at the right price ultimately. Um, so I, I can't sit here mm. and say then that I don't think Blackburn are actively trying to sell Lewis Travis, but I don't think they're actively not trying to sell him either. And I think that's ultimately yeah. the situation with nearly everyone in the squad. I think we've probably reflected on sort of all the key talking points from from the games, unless there's anything else you wanted to bring up. Yeah, just the other thing um, when we were to- when you were talking about obviously bringing young lads like um, Andy Moran into the squad and things. For the record, I am absolutely behind that as a principle for this club. There is no escaping the fact uh, our finances aren't great, our revenue streams aren't great. We've had the issues in the summer with getting money from India. So for me, the only way that Rovers compete in this division and become greater than the sum of our parts is the strategy that the recruitment team have got there, which is getting young lads in, developing value, ploughing it back into the squad. That is a fantastic initiative. That is a fantastic strategy to have. My issue is when you've got the opportunity to sign Danny Bat and bring some experience into the squad and help us through this period and help us through Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday weeks in the championship away from Christmas as well, why are we turning our nose up at Danny Bat, who would be helping this squad at this moment in time? So I just think the recruitment team and the club as a whole need to look at that. Okay, primary strategy is the young lads, and we're probably going to talk about O'Reardon soon. That's fine. That's primary strategy. But the squad needs help. And when Sam Gallagher and Ryan Hedges, and then Dom Hyam with his injury and suspension, probably the three oldest lads in the squad, aren't available. They absolutely need Danny back. So why are we turning our nose up at that? So that's my only gripe and my only annoyance that when we've had the opportunity to bring in experience, for whatever reason, we've turned our nose up at it. Well, in the defence of the recruitment team, they wanted to sign Danny Bart. The reason they didn't sign Danny Bart in the summer was because of the ownership and the the hierarchy decided they didn't want to give more than a one-year contract to a player that was over 30. Um Generally speaking, um, Greg Broughton wanted to sign Danny Bart. Yondal Thompson wanted to sign Danny Bart. So it certainly wasn't the recruitment team that didn't identify the need for experience. It was the the club the club's stance. And from one point of view, they got very badly burnt with Ayala, paying him around fifteen grand a week on a three year deal, and certainly didn't get value from that. But it, they, they were crying out to get him over the line. I think some of them were quite happy to let him go for free, but Bart wanted a two year deal, um, and. Fair enough to him because he ended up getting that at Norwich. And I suppose why would you leave Sunderland to come to Blackburn if you're not going to benefit in terms of length of contract at, at this point in your career? So it, it was more down to the owners not wanting to sanction a two-year deal and, and therefore Bart didn't want to accept a one-year deal, which he had left at Sunderland ultimately. So mm. that that's the frustration because Greg... Greg knew. Let's. I'm not. Greg. Greg wasn't sat there saying no. We don't need an experienced centre back. They did, and unfortunately, they just couldn't get the deal agreed with Danny with the the constraints the owners were putting on them. 
And I'm pleased you've clarified where that decision-making lied, actually, because that probably looked like us slagging the recruitment team off. That, for me, you know, everything we're talking about on this pod today is a result of the recruitment department, etc., needing more help from above. And these are the things that have plagued the club over the last 10 years or so. These are not new things. This, what we're talking about today, the lack of squad depth, the issues that we've had over Christmas, not signing Danny Bat, etc., etc., all these things is still the hang-up of poor ownership and, and I'm pleased you've just made that clarification and I hope that that changes in the future somehow. I don't know how it does, but, you know, if we've got a primary strategy of younger lads, well, these younger lads need help. JDT's saying it, Greg's probably saying it privately, you know, hopefully something can change in the future, else it's just going to be rinse and repeat, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's have a look at the January transfer window because it is now officially open, uh, which means I'm not going to sleep for the next month, which is good fun. Um, probably worth starting with the, the breaking news that um, that we've reported at the Lancashire Telegraph today um, that James Hill looks like he's going back to Bournemouth. It is Bournemouth's intention to recall him from his loan um, next week. There is a clause in his contract that means Bournemouth can recall him from the second week of January. And although I'm told that James Hill actually wants to stay at Rovers and is, is quite enjoying it. Um, I think Bournemouth, well, Bournemouth intend to bring him back. Now that, that could change ultimately because it's not happened yet and it can't happen for another six days. And if James Hill makes it clear that he absolutely doesn't want to come back, they might change their mind. But at the time of recording and at the time of publishing the article this morning, the expectation is James Hill will go back to Bournemouth next week, which is obviously a massive blow. Um, we also reported um, last week that Blackburn Rovers have indeed triggered the release clause in Conor O'Riordan's contract. He is a 20-year-old defender from Crew Alexandra, someone they've been scouting for a while. They had bids in the summer for him rejected, where they were trying to get him for less than the release clause. They have now triggered the, the release clause, believed to be in the region of £500,000. So that makes a little bit more sense because all the noises I've heard around O'Riordan is that he's coming and he's expected to be involved. You know, he's not going back out on loan. He's not going to be in the under-21s. He's expected to be around the first team and play. So you kind of sat there going, right, they've had injuries, but you've you've still got five centre-backs if he comes in with Hill, um, Carter, Wharton, Hyam. Um, he's number five. Is he going to get that much game time? Well, if Hill's going back, O'Riordan pretty much slots in that gap. He's also generally played as the right side of a back three. So probably would be comfortable playing at right back as in the same sort of mould that James Hill has. So that, for me, is sort of like for like, albeit Hill obviously has got better pedigree in the fact that he's an England youth internationally, has played at championship level. and This season he's been on loan at Hearts, he's played in the Premier League. But yeah, they plan to recall him. He couldn't go on loan anywhere else because he's, he's played for Bournemouth actually this season, which I've forgotten about earlier. Um, and he's played for Rovers, so you're not allowed to play for more than two clubs in a season. So if he does go back, he's a Bournemouth player for the rest of the season. Um, we've also seen Charlie Cresswell linked externally, um, who's the centre-back from Leeds United. I think that would be more of a deal, potentially, if someone was going to leave, in my opinion. You know, let's say, obviously, the rumours are around Hayden Carter. He's probably your most sellable asset at centre-back. I've not had any suggestion that, Hayden Carter is leaving. There has been sort of Premier League clubs looking at him, but there's a big difference between looking and scouting someone and actually putting a, a bid in and pushing the button. And no one has at the time of writing. Um, maybe Cresswell comes. I, I don't see that being a permanent deal at all because he signed a new le- a new deal at Leeds in the summer. Um, he's an England youth international as well, so it'd be worth a fair bit, which I don't think Rovers have got unless they made a big sale. 
Um, so I could, but I could see maybe he come up, comes in on loan. It gives a ride and another six months to sort of progress, and, and maybe he can then fill that void. But then if Hill's going back, a ride and sort of fills that gap anyway. So I don't know. I don't know. I've not had confirmation myself on the Cresswell, so I'm just repeating other people's information with that one. I'm still trying to get to the bottom of what the exact situation is, but that's an interesting one, which sounds plausible. You know, you hear some of these deals and they're not. For example, I don't think I've actually written an article on this yet, but. Rovers are not interested in Joe Gerhard. That is not true. Um, they were obviously... He was on their list last year, but he was very low down on the list last January. They didn't... Jan wasn't convinced he was the right profile of striker to come in and help. And, and that was probably right because they needed a number nine and someone to put the ball in the net. Gerhard is someone who wants to play more as sort of a number 10, play off the right, play off the left. Probably very similar to sort of the, the position Sam Smodix takes up. And he's not cheap either in terms of what it would cost in terms of wages and a loan fee potentially. So that's not true. It doesn't really fit what they need either. But yeah, it's it's interesting what might happen. I think there's going to be a lot of moving parts. Ultimately, I do think everyone is ultimately for sale for the right price, which is part of the model. But it is also part of the situation that is ongoing with India and the cash flow issues. There's going to be another high court ruling at the end of the month it's my understanding which is obviously again not to do with transfers that is to push through funds to fund the club um they had 11 and a half million pounds pushed through around october time which was to cover them for the rest of the year so that money is specifically allocated for player wages for agent fees for um utility bills hmrc all those sort of boring things that no one gets excited about that have to be paid by a football club. Um, there's no reason that won't get pushed through because it did last time. So there's no reason why it wouldn't this time. But again, how sustainable is it to keep doing that every two or three months? Not very. So January is going to be interesting because they've clearly got a bit of money to use because they're putting 500 grand in for a ride and if they can get that over the line. But I don't expect to see... I'm surprised I, I, I'm surprised there's 500 grand for a ride and if I'm being completely honest, I was expecting this to be a window of loans but I suppose if they've got a little bit left over, 500 grand is not going to get you anything up front, is it? So you're probably better using that as a long-term investment for a Ryden, someone they've clearly been scouting for the last six months and beyond, especially if they're aware of the James Hill situation, which which they are, obviously. Um, so that makes sense. Still need a striker, still probably need a right winger. So we'll see. They've got players coming back at the end of the month. You know, Hedges should be around start of Feb. Same with JRC, same with... Gallagher maybe mid-Jan to the end of the month. But then again, these players have been out for so long, they'll need a few weeks to build up in terms of training before they go in the first team. So yeah, that's that's January in a nutshell so far. <laughs> On day two. <laughs> well, first and foremost, what a blow it is losing James Hill. Um, he came in and, and made a real impact. You know, we didn't see him for... For a few weeks, but boy, what an impact he made when when he came in. Just a superb athlete, um, someone who I think has been extremely comfortable at either centre-back or, or that right-back position. Uh, I think about some of the standout performances that I've seen, QPR away, where I thought he was really marauding down that right and causing problems. I thought we saw yesterday what he also brings to the table, that assist for Sam Smodic's goal. He's got that in his locker as well. I thought it was great determination from him to retrieve the ball after he seemingly was going to lose it and then to thread that ball through. I think James Hill has also got a bit of that. We obviously saw the the thunder B word uh, away at Coventry, which I just wish that had gone in. So Hill is going to be a blow because, you know, where we've seen injuries and suspension for Hyam, we've seen Scott Wharton be injured, we've seen Carter out the side for a while. 
Hills felt like a bit of a constant. Um, I think he's not missed many games, has he, Elliot, after no, breaking into the start? Since he came into the, the team at the start of, uh, sorry, the end of October, um, he's not, he's played pretty much every game. He, he didn't start yeah. the games over Christmas. He didn't start on Boxing Day and he didn't start the Watford game. Um, but mm. he pretty much played consistently since then. So he's going to be a miss in that regard. Um, clearly a superb athlete and someone who keeps himself in great shape. And and I think he reads the game really well. Um, some of those, they're like lunge tackles that I've seen him do. Um, really well-timed and just fantastic at winning the ball back. He's got so, the athleticism to play in the Premier League, hasn't he? And that's the big thing. I, yeah. I actually think probably his best game or one of them was against Chelsea in the, um, yeah. in the League Cup. I thought yeah. he was exceptional there. I'd have liked to see him a little bit I'd have liked to have seen him have a run next to Dom Heim at centre back because yeah. although I think Hayden Carter's very good, I don't think Hayden's been as good this season, in my opinion. Um but then again, you wouldn't want to take Hayden out because he's your own player and you're trying to develop him as a as an asset as well as a footballer. So that probably was never gonna happen in, in reality. <clears throat> but I think him and Heim would have been a really good combination. Um Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be a big blow. And as I say, I you know. The thing with January and when when I report things and when journalists report things in general, it's until it's signed off, anything can happen. So it's it's Bournemouth's intention, as I say, I wouldn't write it if I didn't believe it and I didn't know it to be true. Um, but who knows what could happen in the next six days? You know, if James mm. Hill kicks up a fuss and says, I really want to stay, maybe Bournemouth get a player back from injury quicker than they're expecting, then then things can change. But the expectation is that next week he will... Uh, He'll get recalled, unfortunately. Orion has not signed yet. Obviously, they've triggered the release clause, but there's a few clubs interested in him. So that that needs to get over the line. So with, obviously, the rumours about people that could go out, Carter, Travis, we've spoken about. Ultimately, the club have control over all, all any outgoings, which is really good. There's no contractual situations they need to worry about, which is a lovely place to be. But what are your sort of thoughts going into January in terms of the places that you'd like to see them add? potential outgoings and, and sort of the early rumours that, that we've seen in this window? Uh, we've spoken at length on this pod about the defensive issues, so I don't mind being linked to defensive players. Um, it's clearly an area that we need to strengthen. Um, I think it's sensible to be sniffing around someone like Cresswell to supplement O'Reardon. So if we just link Hill and O'Reardon together, I think that's the right thing to do. That's like-for-like so, yeah. like replacement. Uh, and, and Hill obviously started at Fleetwood as well. So Hill's gone on to, to good things at, at Bournemouth. We might be getting a player coming from um, from Crew who can also do the same as James Hill. So I like that transfer and it's good cover and, and a good replacement. Permanent player sense. as well. It's, it's Rover's asset ultimately. That's it. So one that we can develop on our own. Being linked to Cresswell for me is a good thing for two reasons. Um, one, it's irons in the fire for if a bid does come in for Hayden Carter. I would be surprised to see him go this January. And I could see it more in the summer, maybe for a team that gets promoted and maybe something similar to the Thomas Kaminsky transfer, where it's someone who can go to a team that's just been promoted and they're covering their backs a little bit if they get relegated again. I, agree. I could see that being the type of transfer for Hayden Carter. So I'd be surprised to see him go in January but could see him going in the summer. However, we've got JRC injured at the moment. We don't have that much cover for Callum Britton uh, with James Hill going in particular. So being linked into another defender allows us to shift Hayden Carter out to right back if we need to and having the cover in those centre-back areas. So mm. actually bringing in two centre-backs, regardless of what happens with Hayden Carter, I think is is very sensible. And hopefully Carter stays 
And then we've got a good complement of centre-backs there to cover all of those positions. So those additions are, are fantastic. I mean, pie in the sky thinking, Elliot, we cannot escape the fact that uh, as good as Tilalovic has looked in his little cameos over the last couple of games, he hasn't scored yet. Um, Niall Ennis says he just got the, the League Cup goal. I think he's got one League Cup goal, so he's not got a League goal. For me, he's not looked good enough. Markande uh, has not looked great whenever I've seen him in, in those attacking areas. And for whatever reason, Harry Leonard's not getting minutes at the moment. So if there is an, an attacking uh, player that we can bring in to add some quality to the squad. I'd be all over that as well, because ultimately I just don't think we've got players that are good enough in those positions at the moment. And I've said on previous pods before, this reliance on Sam Smodic makes me really nervous at the moment um, because he is at the absolute limit and he got taken out of the squad, didn't he, for the Watford game to protect him from fatigue. So the warning signs are there already that Sam Smodix is at his limit and he needs some support. Sigurdsson's trying, you know, he's chipped in with some goals, but we need more from other players. So a bit of quality in those attacking third areas, I would not uh, sniff at either. I'm not saying it's the likes of Billy Sharp, but... Do you think you can muddle through with pairs and Wallstead till the end of the season, which is probably an easier way to address your goalkeeper's situation? I'll just come on to goalkeeper in a minute. So Billy Sharp going to Hull. I would love to see Rovers bringing in someone like that. I don't know who's out there, who's available, what Premier League loans, whatever, whatever. But just someone that's got a bit of nous and someone that can help out the young lads in an attacking sense. So someone like that. And that's a great transfer for Hull in my mind. You know, he might get two or three goals this season that could be really, really important goals. And I think Rovers would do well to look at someone like that. Goalkeeping-wise, I mean... <clears throat> Goalkeeper is the confidence position on the pitch, isn't it? So if Pears has signed a new contract and then lost his place to Walshtet, which I think he was going to do anyway before that injury. because well, he Technically, he didn't criticism. lose his place, did he? Because it was injury. So it's, yeah. it's probably in terms but of I think, optics, it's probably all right. Yeah, I think the writing was on the wall, though. So Pears was under some pressure before his injury. Walshtet is now under pressure as well to... Now bring in another goalkeeper. What does that say to those two? So I think I'm... I don't think they can sign a goalkeeper this month. I think they, they can't wait till the summer to see what they do because you can't yeah. have three goalkeepers. Someone would have to leave. Pez has just signed a new deal. Yeah. It's too soon to boot Walstead out and like stick him, like send him on loan. If yeah. if we get to the summer and they go, you know what, we're going to have Ainsley, we're going to bring in another one and Leo, we think you need to go and have a season in League One and get battered about by some big strikers to, to come and... Because I do for three yeah. bits to work with, you know, his distribution's really good. The shot stopping in general's been good. There are there are um qualities that I can see have been picked out by the recruitment team. I don't look at it and think why on earth have they bought him. I can see what what the idea is and I can see the the profile, but he 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 don't look quite ready yet. He looks a little bit undercooked at the moment. No. I agree. I'd be bringing Pears back um, after his injury. You know, I think that's the time to bring him back. So let's not make, let's make sure we don't rush him. If it's West Brom, you know, boy, that's a tough place to go away at West Brom. I wouldn't be bringing Pears back for that game. Let's eyeball him for the Huddersfield home game. I think that feels like a really good one to bring Pears back um, and then take Walsh out of the firing line in that sense. So no to a goalkeeper. Yes to defensive additions. And absolutely yes to players that can help out the attacking players that we've got at the moment. We wasted a really good loan last season. I thought Sorba Thomas on paper was a fantastic loan. And for whatever reason, we didn't get the best out of him. If we could bring in someone of that calibre at championship level to help the squad out, I think that would be a great loan addition for us. And whether that allows us to then loan out Mark Ande, loan out Leonard, loan out 
Talalovic, you know, do things to boost them and build them up for next season. You know, I'm all for that as well. I agree. I, I agree. I think they need, obviously, a, a defensive additions. A, a, a riding for Hill is sort of like flight, so I would like probably one more defender. Um, yeah. I would like a right winger because I think right wing's been a problem position all year by the fact you've you've had Hedges has been out. So since then, we've had Callum Britton on the wing. We've had Andrew Moran on the wing, who's not a right winger. I think he can play off the left, but he's probably better in the middle, to be honest. But he's not looked great off the right. I don't think that's best for him. I think if he's going to play wide, he needs to be off the left. So I think that's been an issue. Marconde's not done enough when he's had games. Um, and, you know, for example, the game against Hull was his first start since um, Leicester, which was the 1st of October. So he's not started for two, two and a half months, two, three months. So probably says where he is in Jon's mind as well. And a striker. So those three for me would be the the three that I would I would be prioritising and, and, and mm. getting in, not particularly in that order. But for me, I think that is. But I think it's going to be interesting. I think there's going to be a lot of moving parts. Oh, we've not spoke about John Buckley coming back. That's what else we can bring into this conversation. <laughs> um, at the time of um, of recording, when, when you're listening to this, it's probably been officially confirmed that John Buckley's coming back to Blackburn Rovers. Um, pretty well documented with a story that came out last night anyway. But yeah, Buckley's coming back to Rovers. Um, that will be officially confirmed shortly. He's obviously still out, so he, he's undergone shoulder surgery. He's going to be out until the start of March-ish. Um, Jon didn't want him to go out, obviously, of course. So it'll be interesting to see where he fits into the plans does that change? Maybe a midfielder, maybe not. Probably, although you've got JRC coming back soonish as well. So I don't, I, I don't know. But you've got him to throw into the mix as well. It really hasn't worked out for him one bit because he, he's barely played at Sheffield mm-hmm. Wednesday, even when he has been available. I thought it was quite again. I think it was really admirable that Buckley was pushing so hard to go out on loan because he wanted to play, and for, we so yeah. often slag off players for sitting on their wages and just being happy at being fourth or fifth choice. He wanted to go out and play. So I'm intrigued to see if he can try and forge a bit of a, you know, resurrect his career at Rovers yeah. a little bit. I don't think that's dramatic to say to say that in in the next few months. I just wonder, you know, with John Buckley coming back, um, I wonder if Lewis Travis is the one in this window, Elliot. We've spoken about his lack of game time this season. Uh, like Millwall offered 800 grand, which was nowhere near enough, and nobody, um, and his stock's not risen since then. It's probably gone down. No, and but if we have got these cash flow problems coming from India and the high court stuff that you're talking about, um, you know, with the knowledge that John Buckley will be back in March, although they're not identical players, it's a body, it's someone on a long-term contract, it's someone that knows the club. I do just wonder if Travis will be the one that's sold in this window if we do get a suitable bid. And obviously, we know how these things work. Travis might be offered to clubs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, mm-hmm. clubs will be aware of his potential availability. I do just wonder whether it's Trav, whether he's going to be the one. And we've got that safety net of John Buckley being back in March in terms of numbers. Um, That's just the thing I'm pondering in my mind at the moment. I could be completely wide of the mark and there could be no issue with Lewis Travis. There could be something that we don't know. And he comes back into the squad, hits the ground running and all is kind of forgiven in that sense. But I'm just piecing together quite a lot of things here and... Body language from Trav, he's been applauding the fans a bit more recently. He's been making a real effort to kind of, you know, show his appreciation and all of those things. So I do just wonder whether there's something in it, Elliot. I really do. And it'd be a shame to see Trav go if he does. Um, Who knows? We'll see. But I I do think John Buckley would 
just help a decision in that regard. Mm, quite possibly. Right. There is a football match coming up this weekend. The FA Cup is back. Um, it's Cambridge United at home, which is not the most glamorous of fixtures, but maybe the right opponents for a morale-boosting win. That's what, what we've got, got to, the way we've got to approach it. And the FA Cup was so great for Rovers last year. Another run would be welcome if they can keep players fit, I suppose. Um, there'll be changes, no doubt. There'll be rotation. It, it means some players can have a rest. Scott Wharton might be back. Um, Dom Hyam will be back from suspension. I expect Mark Hande, Garrett, probably Travis, um, Leonard probably to all start. So, yeah, it, it's a game that they need to win, really. Uh, yeah, they do. And unfortunately, this has banana skin on it for me, Elliot, because you see it over the years. You see League One or League Two clubs going to the championship um, because the championship team are resting players after a busy Christmas period. And the League One and League Two club have got their tails up and end up getting a shock. So I think Rovers do need to be careful in this game. As much as we've reflected on the squad depth and how tired we're looking and the chance to get a morale boost and the chance to see other players we still need a spine and a backbone to this team that is ultimately going to get the job done and, and get the result. And it's quite similar, isn't it? Now we find ourselves at the, when you start a season off, my criticism of Rovers over the years is when we've not won on the opening day and then we play a stupid squad in the Carabao Cup and go out. And I always find that that Carabao Cup game is a chance to get the morale boost, to get your first win on the board and then obviously start the season in earnest. It feels quite similar now. Been on a bad run. Yes, we've spoken about a lot of things on the pod today, but we've got the opportunity against a team from a lower division, as you say, to get that morale-boosting win and go through in the cup and get some confidence flowing back through the players. So I actually think JDT should resist the urge for 11 changes and, and wholesale changes in this and get the job done and get the result through. Five or six, though, I think. <clears throat> Five or six, yeah. I mean... Bring Travis in, you know, get him playing, get Garrett playing, get Talalovic playing again. Let's get some confidence and minutes under the belts of these people. And you've spoken about Andy Moran, for example. Let's rest him. Let's keep Dom Hyam away from the squad and get him absolutely fighting fit for West Brom. You know, these are all things that I'd be doing. And do you know what? Yeah, let's take a look at Joe Hilton. You know, who knows what's around the corner? Let's absolutely get him in next. Let's like, see let's James see Hill's available because although he can't get recalled before, then maybe Bournemouth won't want him cup tied. I don't know how much say they would have in that potentially. Yeah, that that's a fair point. Um, yeah, maybe they might. Maybe they might say, yeah, don't play him. So, yeah, that's another dynamic to bring in. But the lads that have been on the fringes, we definitely need to see them. I think the only one I'm mind made up on, I think, I, I, to be honest, I think I'm mind made up on too, Elliot. Um, sadly, I don't think that Mark Hande is good enough. So bringing Mark Hande in for Cambridge at home when you want him to get the job done, would I just prefer to play an Andy Moran, who I think will get the job done against a Cambridge at home? That's one thing I'm thinking about. He's done quite well and, in and the cup competitions, Dylan, generally speaking. He's yeah, quite a lot of goals. He has, he has. And that's a fair point to raise. And the other one for me is Ennis. I've, I've not seen... Anything from Ennis yet, I which is Leonard you know making me on Saturday. Yeah, and I hope so. I, I think Leonard has been desperately unlucky over this Christmas period because mm. I think Leonard um, has really worked on himself this season physically. I think he looks stronger every time I see him, and I think he he runs the channels really well I, as well. I, I like Leonard a lot, and I've been he's one of his biggest fans. I think he was looked he's looked quite poor in December. I thought the performances dipped quite noticeably, and it looked a little bit like a lad playing his first season in championship football, which he is. So that that's perfectly acceptable. But 
I don't think he's been that hard done to because I don't think he's played that great. I think it's good that he has a spell out, as we've been talking about with Morin as well. And then start against Cambridge at home, score a goal, score a brace, get yourself back in confidence and let's get you back impacting championship games is is how I approach that. Yeah, that's a fair, fair one, fair one in that regard. So yeah, five or six changes, nothing too wholesale. Let's have a good spine to the side. You know, if Hill is available, let's have Carter and Hill. Uh, if not, is Scott, Scott Morton available? Scott Morton might be back. They said 10 to 2 weeks. And when was that from? That was from mm. sort of Boxing Day. So maybe he might be available. Well, might, maybe West Brom. Well, let's hope Let's hope that Hill is available because I think if we can keep Hyam on the bench and rest him up properly, I think that would be my preference. If Hill isn't available, then it's going to have to be nice. Yeah, maybe. You know, maybe that's an opportunity for him. But a good spine to the squad. Um, you know, Travis and Garrett or Tronstad and Travis or Travis and Wharton, something along those lines in the centre of the park. I mean, let's give Sam Smodic a little rest if we yeah, can definitely. take that opportunity too. I think that'd be good. Have him as an option off the bench if we need him. Um, but still, we've got the likes of Telalovic up front, maybe Siggy out on the left. You know, let's just have a good spine to the side. And just add in the the fringe players around the edges of that to ultimately get it done. But Cambridge will be coming with their tails up. Um, I can't remember the last time they played at Ewood Park, but obviously it's a great stadium for for teams like Cambridge to come and visit. You know, it's a cracking day out for them. I've got no doubt they'll bring quite a few fans as well. So just a banana skin one that we've got to be aware of. And I get the impression Rovers probably won't sell many tickets either. So it's mm. it's not going to be a massively, it's not going to be a cauldron for Cambridge to come to, is it? So there'll be an opportunity for them to shock us. Yeah, the uh, the digital day has gone down like a lead balloon. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. I don't think that will have helped either. No. Um, predictions, Ryan, what are you going for? Uh, I think it'll be nervy, but I think we will get the job done. I'm going to say 2-1 Rovers. I'm going to say 3-1 Rovers. I nearly predicted them for a clean sheet then and I forgot they don't do that. Although they don't do draws. Do you know what's really gone under the radar and I didn't even realise until about half an hour after full time? They drew a football match yesterday. And ironically, <laughs> to the same team that they drew the same team and by the same scoreline as before. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, it was... Um, <clears throat> but yeah, like on a serious note, that is another issue that this season. Frank Lampard. Some of the game... <laughs> very Frank Lampard. Um some of those losses that we've had, uh, we've spoken about Coventry, Preston, you know, they're the ones that should have been the draws. So as much as we've joked there that it's Rotherham twice, actually, we should have had more draws. So, uh, yes, but 2-1 Rovers, I'm saying. I'm going to go 3-1. I think it'll be slightly more comfortable than that. But I still think they'll concede because they've conceded 48 times in the Championship. So why would they not? I think that's a good place to leave it. Thank you, of course, for listening. I hope this has been good group therapy for you with... Um, everything that's gone on over the Christmas period. We will be back now that the uh, the festivities are over. We'll be back to weekly podcasts. So we'll be uh, recording again next uh, ne- early next week to uh, to discuss how the Cambridge game went and preview West Brom coming up. Um, so make sure you're subscribed in your podcast app. Uh, make sure you follow the Lancashire Telegraph for all the latest transfer news in January and the most comprehensive coverage of Rovers this season. You can subscribe as well to become a uh, paid supporter of local journalism. You'll get a better reading experience. You'll get subscriber-only content throughout January, um, a subscriber-only app as well, and plenty more perks. If you want to subscribe, you can go to the lancashertelegraph.co.uk forward slash subscribe, and the current offer is £4 for four months or an annual subscription at £44 for your first year. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Arte Labore.